0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Startup Sales. Today we're going to be speaking with Jeff Thomas and this is going to be a really good episode if you're looking to to hire more people because we're going to be speaking about adding predictability into your hiring process so that uh you you get the same quality people every time and those hopefully those are good quality people. Uh we completely lost track of this uh of time on this episode because we really got into it so I hope you like a long episode and you get your pen and paper and take some notes because this is uh, really good and a lot of information for you to take in. So let's uh, get to today's episode Before we get started with today's episode with Jeff, I wanted to let you know what we've been working on here at Startup Sales. Uh, We created a mastermind class uh, for for companies that are looking to get more conversations. So if, if you have a great product and you know it will sell and everything, but you just are lacking an amount of prospects to speak to, then this masterclass is for you. It's it's all online. It's all video-based with a lot of worksheets. And then you get to have a, a weekly uh, meeting with me and a Q&A session uh, so that you could actually build out uh, It's very simple and easy process. We work on your messaging. We work on the, the systems in order to put everything together. So that's very easy. And you could consistently get about 10 conversations a week. Uh, so it's really, really positive, really works well. So head on over to startupsales.io uh, for more information. Let's get to our conversation with Jeff. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Adam. I'm really looking forward to, uh, to having you on. I mean, we spoke last week kind of in depth a little bit about mm-hmm. background, but can you share with everybody that's listening?
1: Sure. So my name is Jeff Thomas. I'm the founder of a company called Predictably.pro. Um, I started Predictably.pro as really a product that developed outside of my consulting business. My consulting business was helping startups uh, and early stage companies gain traction in in sales and marketing. Um, one of the things that I've learned over at about 25 different engagements with different startups is that hiring people, especially in the early stages, is incredibly critical. It's incredibly difficult. And the success rate is unfortunately incredibly low. So, um, I've kind of taken all of of that experience and tried to package it into something that will help uh, startup founders know how to evaluate, is this salesperson going to be able to help me grow? You know, are they the person that I think they are as I'm interviewing?
0: What is the success rate?
1: The success rate for hiring over about an 18-month period is 45%. So, it's actually more talked about as the failure rate is 55%. So I like to say a coin toss is, 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 is better than um, an interview.
0: It's, it's insane of a number. And that's, that's the average, meaning that's with a somewhat educated. So the, pe- the people that aren't educated on how to hire sales would be well, even what, higher.
1: What's actually interesting is the people who aren't educated in many cases do as well as the people who are somewhat educated. Um, There's actually statistical information that shows uh, one of the pieces that's important in identifying sales talent is an assessment and assessments vary from, you know, people are really familiar with the disc assessment, Um, but there's all different types of assessments. And there's been some studies that have shown using an assessment consistently and understanding the results and and, 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 interpreting those results over a period of time has very very significant um, positive effects but using assessments inconsistently actually has a worse effect than using no assessments at all interesting so so in some ways if you're not going to do anything don't do anything <laughs> you know t- take your chances because if you say you know it's 50 50 it's 50 um, you know, we try to get it up to 80-20, 90-10, um, uh, and what, what we'll discuss is that it's not that hard to do it. None of the things that I do in my practice are are rocket science. They're all based on um, my experience, but more, more specifically based on scientific, or I should really say academic research that shows how you determine, is someone going to be able to perform in a job at? you know, the type of job that you have. Um, and so, um, you know, if, if, if you're not going to do all that, you can really just say a shot in the dark is, as, is, is almost as effective as pretending that you're going to do it.
0: You know, there, it's, um, it's interesting. There's actually a math uh, thing, you know, with game shows that, you know, you pick, you pick you have three doors to pick and you mm-hmm. pick one and yep. then you remove one door that wasn't the option and they ask you if you want to change doors right well mathematically speaking, it lowers your odds of success if you change your change. door
1: yeah I believe it I haven't heard yeah. that one but there's there's so many statistics like that that are just stunning uh, yeah there was one that came out of the University of Pennsylvania and this I focus in on sales hiring I don't believe that this is the the case for sales hiring. its This is more for general hiring. But the study showed that a group of people applied with a resume and got an interview and they asked who should you hire. And then they had a group of people apply through just a resume and asked who should you hire. And by controlling the, the quality of the, the interview as well as um, controlling for the resumes that went into the process, the hires that only looked at the resume turned out to be more successful than those that had a resume and an interview. And the reason for that is that we, as human beings, are terrible at evaluating people, which we're really bad at. And and um, most people don't want to, you know, think that they're bad at it. I, I kind of feel blessed in the sense that I think I've always thought I was terrible at it. Which is which is why my interest in this over twenty years has really been something that you know I, I've worked on and tried to figure out how do I get better because I can't tell you how many times I've made an offer to a salesperson and thought I hope this is you know, you know I'm flipping a coin I, I, I hope they're what I think.
0: If hey, for any anybody that wants to learn more about like uh, why why we're so bad at. At interviewing people right. like or just making judgments. It doesn't matter if it's for a job or interviewing or not. There's a great book Malcolm Gladwell just released called Talking with Strangers, which kind of dives into this.
1: You had recommended that to me when we spoke last week and I'm 80% yeah. of the way through it. And I can't believe I never found it before because <laughs> I have stacks and stacks of books. Well, I, I think my, my approach is really about hiring, yeah. um, but, but it's, it's an amazing... Book that that you just you you listen to these people who are making critical decisions about other people and and they're they, in hindsight they realize that they're wrong but never during the process it takes significant um, evidence for people to look back at something and say I I I did a poor job
0: yeah. <clears throat> All right. So besides inconsistency in the hiring process, what, what mistakes are the founders typically making or, or anybody in general when you're hiring out your first salespeople?
1: So, so um, if, you, if I take you kind of through each of the steps of our methodology, I think it'll help us answer all those questions. And, and most of these people can do on their own. Again, I, I don't make any... Uh, claims that what I, you know, what I do is, is, again, as I said, rocket science. It's, it's, it's basic stuff. But the problem is it's hard to do initially. It's hard to do without experience. But once you set it up, you, you can be pretty good at it. Yeah. So the first part of our uh, methodology is called profile. And that is taking some time to understand if you already have a sales team, who is successful and why they are successful. Um, If you don't have a sales team, you need to just take a step back and try to understand what it is that you need. For example, the first salesperson in in a new organization needs to be very different than the 10th salesperson. And what a lot of people try to do uh, when they're hiring their first person, they try to get somebody who will both be a player and a coach. They try to, you know, find somebody who is both a tremendous salesperson and is really good at spreadsheets and detail oriented. They, they really, they kind of look for everything. And you really need to have an understanding of what is your culture? Where are you in your process? I, meaning, do you really have a sales process? And from a small business standpoint, from a startup standpoint, you probably don't. You as the founder are probably a really good salesperson. But you don't need and you can't find another founder who is as good as you. You need to find somebody who's able to take what you do and and, and turn it into the beginnings of what the process is. So in the profile stage, um, we try to go through and identify what are those things that are most important and also understand who are the people who might help, who who may be able to fit that. Um, Prior experience in a similar capacity, is one of the best predictors for future success. So, again, you'll, you'll see a startup. Let's take a startup in, say, the insurance industry, and somebody comes to them and they're from State Farm. They go, Man, this person, you know, they, they work for this giant insurance company. They're going to be able to help us. That person almost invariably is going to fail miserably in this organization because although they have prior experience in insurance, they don't have any prior experience in the type of a sale, the type of a company that they're going to be working. At. You know, and again, there's always outliers and, and I, I always want to find a diamond in the rough. Um, but in general, you know, if you are a startup founder or if you're in the early stages and you're looking for somebody and the main thing you can try to do is identify what are the core requirements and can you find them on that person's resume?
0: I think that's so important is that prior experience does not mean future success. Right. Like, you have to look at the whole picture. So many times, I've seen it so many times, uh, they're like, well, this person was successful at this company. Yeah, well, that company is a team of 100. Exactly. You're a team of five. Right. And they're selling to a different product at a different price point to a different group. Yep.
1: Even take a service versus a product, remarkably different. Yeah. Uh, so, so, looking for those things and understanding what those things are to your company are really important. Now, one of the problems that you have in looking at resumes, frankly, and, 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 and I, well, the problem is that people lie on their resumes. And, and I always like to also point out, employers lie in their job descriptions. Um, <laughs> you know, both sides really lay it on thick. So I, I can't tell, you know, if you think about the last 10 resumes you've looked at, every one of those people has been president's club every quarter for or every year for the last 10 years. Every one of them has crushed their quota in 90 days or less. Um, so, so people do, and, and maybe I shouldn't say lie, I think people really try to polish their resumes in a way that's really difficult to Look at anything they don't want to have anything that even appears to be a negative on there on the resume and so one of the things that we try to do is help an employer to understand what is real and we do that through one of the next stages which is really the application process so we actually ask um, an applicant at the point of application to list uh, a reference from a recent position and we tell them that they are going to need before they get this position to arrange a reference with that person and we then go on to say please tell us how this person is going to rate you in a number of different areas and the reason that we do that and and, and there um is that's people start to get a little bit nervous about really puffing up their experience when they know that there's going to be a check against that experience. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that we do in the application process to try to get the right people to apply. We, most people are like, oh wow, I got a hundred applications. They realize that that's going to be a lot of work, but they think that that's better than getting 40 applications. 40 applications is always better than 100. Um, <laughs> I, one of the analogies is this. I, I have a seven-year-old daughter, and if I take her into a candy store and I say, what do you want? She just, she, she's never going to make the right decision because she doesn't, it, it's just overwhelming. There's too much to think about, too many options. If I go to her and say, hey, these are two pieces of candy that, I, that you like or they're similar to things that you like, um, which one would you like? She's going to actually come out with a better decision. Yeah. So, so one of the things we try to do is actually cut down on the number of applicants through through what the way the process I mentioned and a couple of others um, to get to the right people early in this, in the process and to get the the wrong people out of it. That way, when you're following at least our process, or even you know if if you just adopt this for your own, you can spend your time evaluating the right candidates, not sorting through the BS of the wrong candidates.
0: It's it's really interesting. How many applicants do you think is a good number that you should be looking at um, before you feel comfortable that okay, I'm making a good decision?
1: uh, Really hard question to answer. I'll give you an answer. Um, The first part though is it basically depends on where you are in your process. So what we try to do, I'll, I'll use round numbers to start. There's five. There's approximately five stages in our process. If we can get 50 people at the first and take out 10 at each stage, or maybe actually 15 at each stage, you'll come down to five at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's, those are probably decent numbers. Um, but it has a lot to do with a, a number of variables, and those also you know, include what's the market like, where are you, and you know, who are the kind of people who are in your market. You might have to look through more people, if you have a really unique job, set of job requirements, um, or if you're hiring an SDR and you're in Austin, Texas, where there's a lot of SDRs, those numbers can come down pretty significantly. Yeah. So, um, one of the other things that we do early in the process is we do assessments. And um, there's been a lot of research that talk about assessments and their ability to future job success and very interestingly um, an interview has uh, it, 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 this is something called the coefficient of determination it means the likelihood that someone will that, that something will happen the coefficient for determination in an interview is is 14% meaning if I just walk in you interview me and try to make a decision you have about a 14% chance of getting it right If you give me just a general mental aptitude assessment, you have a 28% chance. So an assessment in many cases, well, statistically speaking, is about doubly effective or double the effectiveness of an interview. So we don't use any particular assessment. We tend to match our assessments with a client based on what they are trying to do. But there are a couple that we, that we like and that we tend to use. And one of we, – we break it often into two different areas. One is a general mental assessment, which, again, is really kind of an IQ test. Um, I, I shouldn't call it an IQ test. It's, it's about how you think because how somebody approaches a position, especially in a startup or a small business environment, is really critical. And if you're not the kind of person who, you know, was willing to roll up their sleeves and figure something out, you know, if you're not the, you know, if you're the type of salesperson who worked for a thousand, uh, in a thousand person sales force and you expect to have all your materials and know who you're talking to and bring a system engineer and all those things, you're not going to do well, most likely, in this startup environment. So, um, so, so we look for those kinds of things both on the general, uh, assessment, and then we use, uh, one of a variety of sales assessments to understand things like, does this person like to prospect? Does, is this person a good closer? How much direction do they need in a sales environment? So, so after we, we, we whittle down those numbers of the applicants, We then do a phone screen and then we take the people who get through that stage and then start to assess them to determine, is there a match between their assessment scores and what we think of them? So, wait, you have them do
0: the assessment before they even come in?
1: Yes. Uh, Now, sometimes people choose to put the assessment very far down the road. Um, I specifically try to use assessments that are relatively affordable so that you can use them on a, on a wider group of people um, some assessments are several hundred dollars in assessment I look for the ones that are 40 and fifty dollars or less per assessment um, because it's important to do the, to me it's important to do that assessment actually before the people get to the hiring decision makers we split the most sales processes at least at, at a company of say 20 or more You have an HR function and then you have a a sales function, right? And the HR function is to recruit candidates, whittle them down to the right ones, and then send those people along for the detailed analysis or the detailed part of the process. Um, Even if you are, if, if there's three people and you're hiring your first salesperson, there still is that early stage, which is really figuring out who of this group of people are potentially good enough to do the job that we've described. And then you move into the question of really understanding what is you know what are their skill sets, and let me ask them questions about how they sell and what the product is, and you know what are the things that they do well and that they don't really more specific sales orientation.
0: Okay, so so let me kind of walk through and visualize sure. this. So first, get the CVs in, mm-hmm. look through them, find which ones to disqualify. Yes then have a phone screen with them, and then assessment? Yep.
1: That's the typical okay. process. Um, and one of the things that we offer is we put all this into a SaaS-based application so that everything is really easy to do. You don't have to do it that way. You can do it on paper. Um, but but at, every, at each one of these stages, and there's a couple more that we'll talk about in a few minutes, but let's talk about the initial assessment. I'm sorry, the initial application. So you have somebody who reviews all those applications. And what's really critical at every one of these stages is that the review is done the same every time and yeah. it's qu- that it's a quantitative review. Even, you know, so qualitative would be descriptive and quantitative is a number. So so when I'm looking um, or teaching, say, an HR person how to go through the, this initial batch of 50 or even 100 resumes, you're looking for things like, um, you, you know, one of the questions might be on an application is what is your ballpark salary? Now, there's, you can turn that from, yeah, it's in the ballpark, you know, into some specific scoring. Mm-hmm. So we usually break that one down into one of three scores. They're, o- they're way over, they're way under, or they are literally in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Someone who is way over is typically not a good candidate. Someone who is way under could be a good candidate. And somebody in the ballpark, usually, you know, they they meet that criteria. So depending on which of those answers the HR person or the person in this function do, that each one of those resumes gets a score. And and usually that one would be a a score of four if you're in the ballpark, three if you're under the ballpark, and one if you're well over, or if you're over the ballpark. Um, And then the highest number moves on. Um, and so, so at each of these phases, you have this structured set of questions you're asking, and this structured uh, rubric, which is a word that I never learned in school, but of how you grade every single answer. Yeah. And so we do that at the application. We do that at the phone screen, and and so now you have two scorecards. You have an application scorecard which determines who gets phone. You now have a phone screen scorecard which determines who you're typically going to assess and then as long and then those assessments come back, it's not as much of a scorecard as a confirmation as to does this person match the, the parts that we think are really important for our organization.
0: It's great because it also like if there's something that's like, okay, they could be overpriced but everything else is a, is a great match mm-hmm. and they still could score high. Um, and then you could address that later.
1: And, and you can address it later. One of the things that we do in our system is there is a hundred percent of the time a manual override for a set of grades. So, for example, if you, if you take an academic uh, uh, example, you'd say, okay, I got your math test and you had 10, um, answers on it and you got eight of them wrong. But you know what? I, I, I can't tell you. I, I don't even know why. Or maybe I do know why. Maybe you are the nephew of the board, of the chairman of the board. Um, but I, I still think we should pass you. And so the very last question on every one of these phases that we use is, do you recommend the person move forward independent of the school? And, and that allows you to say, yeah, you know what? This person might not have scored as well, but we still think that we should move.
0: Interesting. It's really great. Can you, can you give uh, a couple names of some of the assessments that people could look at?
1: So um, I'll give two that, that I think are really good and are they, they fit in that small business category uh, in the sense that. It's not $800 or it's not $300 and you got to buy 30 of them, right? So, salestestonline.com is one that I, I use very regularly and am and, and a big fan of. Um, I'm a fan of that in a, in addition to the fact that it's easy for people to use and relatively easy for people to read and assess to understand, but it really breaks it down into a very simple set of there's 12 criteria. And you get a score of 0 to 10 on each one of those. Now, the problem is, and this is where using an assessment gets tricky, you might think that uh, the level of responsiveness to incentives, meaning is this person money-driven, leads to a better salesperson. Now, I've given the sales test online test 600 times in the last two years, and I've, I, I've, I've tracked. Probably about 150 of those people in their performance, and what I found is that there's very little correlation between responsiveness to incentives and job performance, because bad salespeople like to make a lot of money, and good salespeople like to hedge their bets. They'd rather have a higher salary and a lower commission, and 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 so it's all over the place. So there's very little direct correlation there. Interestingly. One of the correlations that I, I am always surprised by is the more likely a salesperson is to leave a particular company, in essence, become a job hopper, and, and sales test actually gives you a score on this, the more likely they are to leave, the better their performance tends to be. Yeah. So, so, so the problem is sometimes when you do these assessments, again, that re- you get the score and you might look at somebody and say, oh, they're a job hopper and they're not incentivized highly by, by, you know, variable compensation, let's not use them. That can be a really good candidate. So that's one of them. Uh, the other one that I, that, that I like a lot is a company called Assess First, um, and they are out of France. And they do a really detailed, it's about a 40-minute uh, general mental assessment. They break it down into multiple categories. Um, and so that's one that you can try relatively easily. Um, they will charge you on a monthly basis. It's, it's as low as $200 a month. So you can go in and say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to use this for three months. I'm going to test all the people for this part of the process since I'm only hiring one or two and get a relatively in-depth picture. Again, even I find as somebody who does this, you know, as a profession, though, that when you're looking at a 15-page detailed assessment, it gets really hard to compare the first person the second person but those yeah. are two that i that, that, that i personally use and, and and like a lot
0: i i find really like what you're talking about though as who's going to be a good performer who's not based yeah. off of certain criteria like the job hunt the job hoppers that are going to be the best that or that are tend to be good uh tend to job Wow, I really messed that one up. That's, that's <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> if you're a job hopper or, yeah. or scored higher on that, you also tend to be a performer.
1: Yes, you're confident in your skills. And a lot of, a lot of people will go to a place that they're a bad fit for. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, back to our original premise, I as a small business owner might hire you to be my sales guy. You can be an outstanding sales guy but not the right one that I need. And then we part ways. You're now a job hopper. I'm a failure, you know, or I've done a poor job in the hiring. I've wasted, you know, six figures and we both have a terrible experience because we haven't known what to look for. But your job hopping interest or, 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 or capabilities show that you are, you have a lot of, you have a high degree of confidence and you're going to go somewhere else and find the right company.
0: Yeah. Do you think it also um, has to do with, uh, you know, salespeople have to be curious people and have to always be learning? Like yep. uh, it's a really strong trait for a good salesperson. Yep. Do you think that it might have to do with they get bored quicker and then also want to leave?
1: It very well could be. And one of the things that I don't, address. And I, I, you know, at some point, you know, we may add this, but it's it's entirely separate business. And there's a lot of people who do this is it comes down to onboarding and training and helping people get get up and running. Um, I, I find myself, you know, I like to think that I'm cu- a very curious person. I haven't had many sales jobs that I got bored in. There's always more to Learn and there's always more to do. And a big part of most sales jobs and then this, the, the larger the organization, the less this happens. But, um, if you're doing both the prospecting side and the selling side, to me, I, I personally struggle when I'm prospecting to not go down the rabbit hole of like, Oh man, you know what? I'm going to find out more about this person and more about this person and, and really make sure that I know everything, you know, there is to know. I have to keep myself from doing that. So, <laughs> so yeah you sir. I, I think you could get word of it, but I don't know I th- I, sale every sale is different, and there's to me there's always new ways to do it and new ways to try it. so I would hope that most people don't leave just because they're bored. I think most people leave because they don't they either can't find the right leads, don't get the opportunity to sell enough, or in a lot of cases, and, and again, sometimes it's the salesperson's fault, sometimes it's the business's fault. If the pricing is wrong, the product fit is wrong, you know, um, you can't sell something that nobody's going to buy. And there mm-hmm. are a lot of companies out there that are, that, that rather than understand what, what their product needs to do in order to be able to be saleable or sellable, um, they just look at the salesperson and go, well, they're not selling it. They're terrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's also, you know, you could have the best salesperson that's the right person for the company and for the product and for the market, but they, you don't have any processes for them to follow and they're not, they're not the creator, yep. uh, you know. so and they
1: get lost in this, this freeform world. And again, the smaller you are, the more you need that capability. Um, and the larger you get, the you have to frankly start to stamp it out of your organization and that makes it hard for your first person to continue to be successful when you have tenure.
0: Yeah. All right. So we've had profile. We've had
1: application. Yep. What, what's the next step? Let's talk about uh, the, the, the two that are really in the middle, and they're both super critical. Um, one is interview, and the other is select. And, and so interviewing, you know, we all interview people, um, we're all really, really terrible at it. Statistically speaking, I mentioned you have about a 14% chance of getting the results of an interview correct, and that's because we all suffer from, and, and, and you've seen this in the Gladwell book. Um, we all suffer from a variety of biases. Um, we make a conscious, uh, sorry, a like subconscious decision in, in in many cases in less than a second. And, and worst case in less than five or 10 seconds, you, you meet somebody, you shake their hand, you know a little bit about them, and you then spend the next 45 to 60 minutes confirming what you think that person should be. And, and, and we all do it. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate and it's really hard to get that out of the process. So for interviewing, we do a number of things. Again, the first thing we do is we use a structured interview. Uh, meaning the questions that everybody gets asked are either identical or very similar. Um, I like to let people add in, you know, they, 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 they can make them their own, but they've got to make sure that these eight get asked. Um, they grade each of those answers this, with the same information uh, or on the same rubric. Um, we recommend that you have two people involved every single interview. So that you are not as pressured to keep the interview going, to uh, not be listening to the answer. Because if I'm going to interview you and I ask you a question about, you know, what have you done in a situation where, uh, you know, you couldn't get a buyer to respond to you after a proposal? 20% 20% of the way into your answer on that, I'm starting to think about, I'm going to have to ask this guy another question in, in, in another minute and a half. And so uh, two people really helps get rid of that process. So, so we like to do interviewing in teams. We like to um, ask them the same questions and rate those same questions. And then the other thing that we, that, that we really heavily suggest is that your questions are based on either looking back at a particular situation, uh, you know, tell me about a time when you did X, okay? Because that forces that person to kind of live in that moment. And, and, and it's really hard for, for me as a bad sales guy who's a good interviewer to take that information and, and, and make something up and then hopefully give you the right answer. So, so, so the first part of it is asking about historical things that you've done. The second part is just asking about future scenarios that are much more specific to your organization. So I worked with a client last year and they were, they, they had a, you know, a Fortune 50 company who was a major partner of theirs. And the way that they had to sell, really there were three people involved in every decision. They were involved. This, this large company was involved and their customers were involved. So, so you would ask a question in that scenario like, Let's say that you're working with let's just Google as an example. Let's say that you're working with your partner rep at Google, and you're talking to a customer. How do you think that you would um, square the differences between what the partner rep wants and needs and what the what you believe the client wants? So, so again, now you're just you're still asking them a very specific question, but you're you're rather than asking them to answer from history, you're asking them to place themselves in the future. But answer that very, that very detailed, uh, question. And, and when we go into, uh, company, we, we help, we write those questions. I have a database of about 700 questions. And for any given client, we may throw in, you know, one or two new ones. Um, but again, it's based on, you know, you would never ask that question if you, this question about, you know, working with a channel partner or a third party when you are a direct selling small business SaaS. So, so you yeah. help determine what those questions
0: are. And I um, think it's also important to keep in mind when you're asking these questions, is that you, you map out and define beforehand what it is you're looking for in the answer. And it's not that they're going to answer it exactly the same that you would. There's, you're looking for specific characteristics and traits. Exactly. exactly.
1: Because people, you know, people are going to give worse answers. In these scenarios, because again, you're putting them on the spot. A bad answer, somebody stumbling over something, somebody needing some time to think about something is, is, is a good sign or at least a neutral sign. You know, when they just jump right in and say, Oh, I did this and I did it, you know, by A and B and C and D, it's almost too rehearsed. So, so there's nothing wrong with a bad answer. And that actually makes a really good transition to the next part that's really critical um in in a good sales higher and that is creating a role hmm. um and a role play is not sell me this pencil um a role play has to be something i uh, in my in my in our practice what we try to do is develop a role play that takes the skills and um requirements that are part of the organization boils them down in a really simple way because you can't expect a role you know somebody to come in and do a role play and and be your most successful salesperson so 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 we like to boil it down to something that somebody can learn and understand in about 30 minutes um so so we basically say okay you're working for this company and they sell x but it's just one product and here's how you, what you can read about that product and then you go further in the role play and say they follow let's say the challenger sale or they find that getting, a, you know, somebody, to, you know, getting the, the entire team uh, from the buyer side to, to buy in uh, is something that's really difficult because they need the CFO, the COO, and the CRO all involved in making purchasing. So you give them these clues, and then, uh, depending how far you take it, and I'd like to take it this far, is you even create people within your organization. And say, you know, you can go talk to Jeff Thomas. He's the COO. You know, you can, you, 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 um, and and then what I do is I go and I talk to Jeff and say, in this well developed um, role play, if this person contacts you and asks you any of these following questions, give them the keys to what they need to know to get through that phase. Yeah. Um, We usually quote unquote hide um a an influencer in that whole process. And so if the person gets to the influencer and figures out who the influencer is, the influencer will say, well, you know what? You need to talk to Jeff and find out this. You need to talk to Adam and find out that. So 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 really what we're doing is we are encouraging thirty to sixty minutes of discovery because it's such a critical part of uh the, of the sales process of uh, future Yeah, future success in sales, and then they either come in, or more specifically, if this is a telephone-based sale, the evaluation of the role play should be done over the phone. Because I, you know, I, I always try when I'm hiring, say an SDR, to to push off meeting them as long as I can, because I need to know who they are by voice, not face to face, and so. Again, the role play has specific criteria on how you rate it, how you rank it, and and how that person scores. Um, And the other part of that role play is really critical um, is that always in the role play, somebody's job is to offer some constructive criticism and coaching. And you say, you know, I really liked how you did that. But what if, you know, we found that, you know, I think that maybe you didn't have enough of a conversation with the COO and and go into detail enough on on how this will actually impact their day-to-day metrics. So so let's pretend that, that I'm the COO and let's go through. And then you ask the person And so now what you're, you're you're looking for is did they listen to what you said? Were they able to process it and understand it in such a way that they can now attempt to do that. Now, back to what we said earlier, people can do a terrible job at a role play and score perfectly. And that's that's actually, there's nothing wrong with that because they might be stammering and stuttering or nervous or frankly feel a little bit silly because we're all sitting here, you know, I'm a 50-year-old man and I'm pretending to be somebody I'm not. And it seems odd to me. So you really need to look at, what were the questions that they asked? How did they process that information? Are they coachable? All those things that are two levels below the how smooth was it, you know, because we can all get smooth and we can all understand, you know, how to pitch something after we pitch it three to five to ten times. Yeah. And those are the things you actually have to look for in that, in that whole uh, role play scenario.
0: I love it. I, I do something very similar, and I think I'm going to take a lot of what you just said. Yeah. But one of the things I also do, in addition to the role play, is I set it up beforehand. But I tell them that I want them to, they could choose whatever they want to mm-hmm. sell me. Something they have experience with yeah. from a previous job. So that that way, it kind of takes away like the, the lack of knowledge, the unknown. It's no longer role playing except yep. for, okay, pretend I'm a, I'm a prospect.
1: Yep. I, there's a, there's one that's much like that, and I, and I like that one. And it's actually one of the best ways to go if you're not going to develop your own. Yeah. There's another one that's very similar to that, and I borrowed this from a guy named Matt Millen who works at Sapper Consulting, um, and Matt calls it Stand and Deliver. And so very early in his process, he says, hey, you know, I see from your resume, you, you know, you were really successful at this company. Give me your... And... And, and I'm going to paraphrase Matt here. You know, if the person goes, "Well, you know, um, you know, and, and they start to stammer and they can't do it, that in essence is that that's a that's a red flag to when they say, "Okay." And they say, "You know what? You know, so 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 I'm going to make the assumption that you're this type of a of a client and here's how I sell my process or how I sell my product." Um in 60 seconds, Matt has a quick answer to say is this person probably real or are they probably not? Yeah. And, and, and he does that one really early in the process. And I've, been, uh, I, I've borrowed it a couple of times from him and I always give him credit for it because I, 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 it's something that I wasn't able to come up with on my own.
0: I like that. I think it's really good, you know, especially it's something you could do early on. Yes. Uh, like from the phone screening part. From, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So there's one last phase, if you want me to, to let you know that in the methodology. And this yes. is the one that, that nobody really does other than anecdotally. It's called measure. We try to measure three main areas in every hiring process. The first area that we measure is, was this a good candidate or not? And one of the things that we do with that, it, it's, it's almost a trick to help the candidate better, is yes, you, you make sure that the client understands at 90 days, at six months, at nine months, and at 12 months, what defines success. Most of us don't do that and six months in, especially, you know, you take a small business, and six months in, this new person doesn't have a pipeline. They're they're trying to figure stuff out. You haven't taken the time to understand, are they doing well or not? You just have this feeling, and you may well be right, but uh, that they're doing a poor job. However, had you set up at 90 days, you should have a set of prospects, and at six months, you should have a pipeline. Now, you're helping that person to be successful. But, Um, we measure the individual decisions against, uh, were, are they, are they high performers or not? What we can actually do with our software, though, is measure the questions over time. And, and you need a larger sample set than one to do this. If you're hiring 30 or 40 people, you can start to look at, of my high performers, how, what were their scores that were particularly high or actually particularly low? So was this particular question at a certain phase, so let's say in the interview, when I asked them to place themselves into my company's, you know, one of our most difficult areas to sell, did everybody who did well in that, in the answer, because we've measured every single answer, are those our high performers? So we start to understand over time which questions lead to which to high performance. The other thing that we can actually look at is which evaluators are good and which. And again, I, I look. I, I call my. You know, I'm I'm bad at this without these tools. If you ask me to go sit down and pick somebody, I'm like, ah, oh, geez, I don't know. I like them all. Um, <laughs> and so, what we can do with that data is make a determination who should be more involved in interviews or who needs to be more aware of maybe. The you know the facts that they that they need to get better at this and give them some yeah so each of those different areas of measurement helps you to then refine the process as you continue to run so it keeps getting better with every cycle.
0: I I think that's so terrific and and what you're saying about measuring especially in the earlier days so many people just hire okay we've got a salesperson good let's go yep and six months later well what did you do like we don't know. You don't know if they're good. You don't set be- benchmarks, but it's also good because you could tie that down to their bonuses yes. uh, and the, commis- or c- the commercial uh, aspect in- and put their bonuses tied because they're not going to close business the first few months, especially if you have a six-month, nine-month uh, yep. sales cycle. Yep. So, okay, three months, you need to know X, Y, and Z, and you need to have spoken to so m- done so many discovery calls. Here, you should have a, a
1: pipeline yep. of X. I break that into three categories, activity, effectiveness, and results. So again, in my first three months, all I can really measure for somebody is their activity. And then as, as I see that they're doing the right activity, which let's just assume that is starting to build your pipeline, now it's your effectiveness. Out of the hundred prospects that you have found, how many of them are you able to get a demo, demonstration with? How many of them are you able to quote to make a purchase? And then after that comes the results of, who did you close? And so as you use it through those three concepts, it makes it easier to understand, I'm not going to get results until I have activity. I'm not going to get, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get effectiveness until I have activity. I'm not going to get results until I become effective at the activity that I have. So for me, that's an easy way to help people get up and running and perform as That's terrific. Really good way to look at it.
0: Jeff, I've lost complete track of time here. I've been mesmerized <laughs> by what you're saying. <laughs> and I hope, I hope the audience has as well. Thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing with us. I appreciate it. How can people reach out to you and learn more about your company?
1: Sure. So you can reach us at predictably.pro um, or you can email me directly at jeff at You can also find me on LinkedIn. I I, I do a lot of, um, I publish a lot of information about how to hire people. One of the things that some of your listeners may want to take a look at is something I call the seven steps of effective sales hiring, And it literally goes through what can you do today to improve the quality of your sales hiring. We talk about a lot of things and sometimes it sounds a little bit intimidating. It's like, well, you know, I got to do role plays, I got to do assessments, do all that. You don't have to do all of it, um, but if you pick the right things to do, you'll get better immediately. And if you want to do all of them, that's, how, that's where we help.
0: That's terrific. I'll put a one-click link into the show notes oh, for everybody that could okay. just go straight to your uh, LinkedIn profile Perfect. and go from there. I appreciate
1: there. it. And, and I'm happy to send any of that content out to uh, anybody who'd like to see.
0: Lovely. Jeff, thanks so
1: much. Thank you, man. Thanks
0: for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.